I'm Laura Zach. And I'm Brittany Ashley. And this is Sicker Sadder World, a podcast where we rewatch episodes of Daria and relate it to our current world. Welcome back. We've made it to the end of the season. That's crazy. Yeah. And they really load in the drama in this finale. Oh, hell yeah. There's, there's death. There's, there's uh, misery. There's conflict between Jane and Daria, which we hardly ever see. There's self-reflection. There's grappling with the bleak mortality of our lives. There's blatant pedophilic misogyny. I don't remember that. Uh, with Tommy and Brittany. Oh, yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. They really pulled out all the stops. Yeah, it's a real smorgendorfer board. Oh. <laughs> so how you how have uh, you been doing? Well, I saw you last night. Uh-huh. And like two nights before. Why did we see each other last night? Well, we watched The Bachelorette. Hey yo, Rachel. Premiere. You're literally too good for any man. It's true. Yeah. So, a little bit about my history with The Bachelor franchise is that I've always There isn't one. There isn't one. Well, I watched maybe like the first two seasons with my first stepmother, probably like 15 years ago. Oh, that's why you had such negative associations. Mm, no, I think it's the negative experiences were just like the heteronormativity and the celebration of turning love into a competition. Ah, right. Just having eyeballs yeah. and a brain. <laughs> but last year, I realized that all of my friends got together and watched this thing and that I was never invited. And... Um, so then I invited myself and now I can't turn myself away. But you realize you weren't invited because you had made very clear how much you disdained Would it have hurt to invite me? Would it have killed you to just extend that offer? I think we just thought, oh, Brittany's too good for this. Just like Rachel is too good for all of the contestants. That's true. It's, it was pretty, except for we do like, um, Diggy. I like Peter. You like Peter. Yeah. And... Kenny. We like Kenny. Yeah, I didn't mind Josiah either, the other attorney. Yeah, he, he was a he little too way. confident. Mm -hmm. Eric, big fan of Eric. Which one was Eric? Esty. Oh, right. There's a character, by character I mean person, <laughs> um, who reminds us of a really awesome real person in our lives. Holler Esty. I saw Esty for a coffee this morning and... She hadn't listened to this podcast yet, but she said she was going to creep on it later. So, well, let's. Here's, here's your reward, Esty. Yeah, here's to hoping she creeps. Yeah. Eat, don't keep it on the down low. Come to the podcast show. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking yesterday about Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Rest in peace. R.I.P baby girl i was i was talking about um the putting condoms on their glasses um, what remember they were big into promoting safe sex and for a while they incorporated condoms into their outfits and left eye would use a condom as an eye patch on her glasses oh my god i don't remember that that's really incredible yeah there were a lot of very socially conscious artists back in the day and it was i mean maybe it's just because we're socially conscious now but when i look back it just i really idealize the way that artists were back in the day like very much groundbreaking to be political well i mean the 60s happened you know like by but the time did they <laughs> 
<laughs> I wasn't there? there. Yeah. Well, I guess I mean like when you are in that impressionable period of your life where you are idolizing artists or when you start to become cognizant of artists, they are going to seem the most impressive to you in whatever they do. True, but like let's take a look at rock music today. Is there anyone that tried to do for masculinity what Kurt Cobain did? I can't think of any present day rock artists that no but i think there are people in who are who are playing within their genre like frank ocean or that's you know, true there's definitely people in the world of hip-hop who are little yachty playing with yeah queerness and gender representation and then obviously like having beyonce be explicitly a feminist oh hell yeah is a huge thing and and solange who is a genius in her own right reinventing herself as a performance artist there's this new i forget where it is in la but i'm gonna try to go next weekend there's a um, bjork show where you where you watch it's like a series of virtual reality set to bjork cool yeah do you watch like I don't know. I'm going to find out. Bjork is so cool. Every generation has their people who are And to every pushing. generation, there is a chosen one. She alone must stand alone to fight against the vampires. Oh, I heard that you're going to be on Buffering I am. soon. I'm going to record for Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I'm recording with them the first week of June. So hopefully that will be released mid-June. I'm very excited. It is a career milestone that means more to me than most other things. Yeah, I mean, without that show, this show probably wouldn't exist. That's true, because we forced them to go out to dinner with us, and we asked them a bunch of questions. They gave us a lot of tips, a lot of tricks, um, but most importantly, just gave us the confidence. Yeah, they sent us on our way with a, a gentle tap and hearts full of love. Love you guys. And uh, this week, me and you also saw Jersey Boys. We did at um, the Amundsen. I don't know how to say the name of the theater. <laughs> it could either be Amundsen, Amansen, or... Amundsen, like Am- I said it the first time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jersey Boys definitely did not pass the Bechdel test. It was enjoyable, but there was a guy behind us who really, really just wanted it to be the olden times once more. He was definitely one of those, not make America great again, because I doubt he was a Trump supporter, but definitely someone who idealizes the past in a way that fails to acknowledge that it wasn't idyllic or wonderful for everyone. Right. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to meet people our age that are like really into like Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, because it's like, what are you idealizing? Yeah, and the show is really into New Jersey brotherhood loyalty. Right. Like going to jail and it's fun. Covering your your brother's debts. Right. Like if if he goes down, we all go down. Yeah, but also not really acknowledging the fact that they were all white and had very minimal sentencing and not harsh treatment. No, and the only women characters were like ball-busting girlfriends or wives, prostitutes, backup singers, and waitresses. Yeah, me and and Laura love the theater. (laughs) We really are fun to be around. Yeah, we really love guffawing. loudly during like problematic lines like looking around anyone else can you believe it and then realizing we're the only people who are under 50 there yeah good times Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to enjoy art objectively (sighs) but we gave it a shot you know we decided to be informed critics yeah we're fun la 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 la
episode is season one episode 13 the misery chick and as laura mentioned earlier this is the last episode of the first season i would love to do a little research and see how long it took for mtv to commission or to buy a second season yeah like i wonder if they were already working on season two at this point it didn't really have a sense of closure that you would typically expect from the end of a season. Like, I feel like there seemed to be a sense of this is going to carry on, even internal to the episode. I mean, I feel like most shows do that, though. Like, leave it open-ended where it's like, don't you want to see this continue? It'd be crazy if it didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, I just finished um, The Handmaid's Tale. You have not yet. I'm almost there. But yeah, leaving something open-ended and making you just like dying to see what happens next is obviously very true of dramas. But I feel like with like animated comedies, I think the way that it ended could have ended this way. But also we are wanting to see more, you know? Totally. I just don't necessarily know that the season had a super clear arc. When I look back, I don't think the series really does. I mean, I think the characters have arcs, but as for seasons having arcs, that's not something that really happens in this show. Mm -mm. In Buffy, however. Save it for the June record. Do you want to talk about it? Go ahead. I just wanted to say that in Buffy, every season was a different villain. And that was kind of revolutionary for um, TV. For yeah. Joss Whedon to create arcs that were just so clearly, like, it it really is like an equation of when the big bad gets uh, introduced, it, generally in, like, episode five of a season. It really creates a very clear arc. Yeah, and that, I feel like that template was followed for so many shows after. Oh, completely. I mean, the ones that leap to mind are Dexter and True Blood. Mm-hmm. Right, that the first few episodes of the season are just catching back up with the characters and making you happy to just see the the ordinary world and then just jumping immediately into I mean it's kind of like the hero's journey basically for like mm-hmm. every season. Yeah. Which is a really smart way to build an arc. Building like a long 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 movie every time. Mhm. It's cool. So, back in Lawndale though, it's just picture day. Just picture day. And Quinn chose nature's precocious wonders as her background. This is very much like uh, spring picture day. Because remember, you'd have, in the beginning of the school year, you'd have the yearbook picture Mm -hmm. pictures. And then at our school, then in the spring, like in April or something, then you would take the wacky pictures of, like, the ones where you're, like, leaning against a tree trunk or the one where you're, like, holding a basketball. Like the ones for yearbook. You'd have picture day twice a year. One was for yearbook. I didn't have that. Really? We didn't have any picture day in high school. Wait, we, what? We did only through junior high. Whoa. The only the only time we took pictures was at the very beginning of the year for the Facebook, which was the book that 
was had like the picture of everyone in it that had like your address and phone number but it was just very like kind of like a driver's license picture Whoa. No backgrounds, no, you know, black and white. Damn. No, yeah. I mean, back in, in public school land. <laughs> but like, what's the functionality of that? Is it just spring picture day? Yeah. It would just be for fun, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it was a way for the school and the photographer that they teamed up with to make more money. Right. Right. It's always about it's always that about grind. Money. Yeah. But those, so the picture that I gave you that's in your little book. That's from a spring picture day. And it's me in a sweater <laughs> leaning against With snowflakes it. on it, which yeah. was an interesting choice for spring pictures. Yeah, holiday-themed sweaters can be good all year round in the Midwest. Uh, and it's also layered over a white mock turtleneck Certainly. shirt. Am I leaning against a tree trunk? You sure are. Yeah. I missed out. And then also for sports, we had picture day as well. We'd take a picture with the team, and then we'd take a like, action shot. Wow. I can put a lot of these on Patreon. <laughs> No wonder you have so many more photos from high school. Yeah, public school really capitalized off of making money from memories. Also, it's probably good that I have fewer because as you'll see of the ones we put up on Patreon, high school was a rough, rough time for me physically until senior year, of course, when I fell in love. You did? Oh, right. How quickly she forgets. How quickly she forgets that you were trying to impress the likes of an older man. Daria's picture is kind of more like what my high school pictures were. It's mm. just she chose the basic... Like a passport photo. Yeah. Basic gray background, no smile, looking straight into the camera. She says that she doesn't like to smile unless she has a reason, which is felt to me like a callback to two episodes ago where we saw her smile for the first and only time of the right. season, which was when Trent made her smile by complimenting her. Mm -hmm. Helen said something like, oh, but Dari, you know, people judge you for your expression. And she said something about like, yes, and that's something I'm trying to change about the world. <laughs> yeah. And then we're introduced to kind of like the villain of the episode, which is uh, Tommy Sherman, who used to be the quarterback a couple years ago, and then he graduated. And he, do you remember remember the storyline in Can't Hardly Wait? Yes, the guy who dumped his girlfriend because yeah. he was going to go off to college. And well, date. My, yeah, Mike Dexter, mm -hmm. who dumped Amanda, and then he sees Jerry O'Connell, who's like the guy that he idolized when he was a freshman or sophomore. And he sees that that guy kind of is washed up and is just trying to relive his glory days, which I feel like is a very common thing for people who like there was a guy who was like hot shit in my grade. And he was like super handsome and he played all the sports, blah, 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 blah. And then he he failed out of freshman year of high school and like didn't go back. And I feel like that's not atypical of people who you know were very hot shit in high school and then think that that's just going to carry through and they don't have to try and then they yeah just fail and then have to like just relive the glory days of their high school times because they don't really have much of the future ahead of them well tommy sherman's whole thing is his whole move is he, while he was running in the football to score a touchdown he would wave to the audience which would cause him to not be looking at where he was going, which would cause him to slam into the goalpost when he scored every single time. And that was sort of his signature move. And so the school in his honor is erecting 
um, a goalpost, a new mm-hmm. goalpost, and that's why he's back. And Jody, as a member of the student council, has been selected to give a speech about this honor, and she's pissed about it. She recognizes what bullshit it is, and Jane and Daria are giving her shit about it, and she's, like, giving it right back to them and being like, do you think I want to do this? Right. Yeah, and so we meet Tommy Sherman, and though he's, what, like, 21 he looks like he's 48 yeah he's he's one of those that you'd say has been rode hard and put away wet (laughs) he looks very much like a radio dj or like a washed up sportscaster and immediately he's hitting on britney and she slaps him which i'm impressed by yeah she did not take it for a second also she i I was really appreciative that the writers made it so that she knew what he was getting at totally they they didn't play up the like oh dumb girl like not understanding what he means by let's get horizontal and see how big my talent is right a big reason why she uh slapped his hand away or slapped him i can't i'm sorry i'm thinking of melania trump slapping away donald trump's hand that's just in my head forever Um, But a big reason is because Kevin, her boyfriend, is obsessed with Tommy Sherman. And she's like, she's really, it's almost like you can see the disappointment that he's such a piece of garbage, which is like another reason never meet your heroes is something that people say. Or like your faves are problematic. Right. I mean, I met Ashley Simpson when I idealized her. And and I also have said hi to Sarah Silverman once. What, What happened with Ashley? So. Did she disappoint? No, I did. Remember when Ashley Simpson was like the fucking craze? This was like when everyone realized that. Yeah, I remember those two minutes. (laughs) It felt like longer than two minutes to me. But she had the Ashley Simpson show and she was one of the first people like our age that I saw on TV that I related to because she was like quirky and like weird, but also like cool. Um, Not saying that I was that at all, but that's someone that I wanted to be. Okay, I wanted to be her, and also I had a huge crush on her. Like, I remember going to the hairstylist and being like, give me the Ashley Simpson. But anyways, this was right when everyone found out that Jessica Simpson had a cool, young, hot sister who was funny, and she had her show. I loved her show, and uh, her CD had just come out. Pieces of Me still still gets me every time. But my... This is a whole, whole part of your life I did not know. I have a signed CD of hers, like, up in my room. I'm 28. And so my sister saw that she was going to be at a Walmart signing CDs. And my sister, being a wonderful human being and a wonderful sister, was like, I wasn't old enough to drive. And she was like, I will drive you. And so she drove me there. And we ended up waiting in line in a Walmart for like three hours. We were near like the camping supplies. And then I finally got up there and I was so excited. And I did not say a fucking word. She was like, hi, it's so nice to meet you. What's your name? And I just stood there completely frozen. You didn't even say your name? No. I was so, so scared. Um, (sighs) And then, yeah. And then she was like, well, it's not nice to meet you. And then I just had to be like shoved out of the way. I've also, I waited on, this was like three years ago. I I waited on Chelsea Peretti and Natasha Lajaro, And I was so overcome with emotion and like fear that I forgot their order completely and my face was red the whole time and I almost blacked out. I have a very strong reaction to people that I idolize. So very scared for the day that I ever see Sarah Michelle Gellar or Joss Whedon or Cheryl Strayed. It's going to be a fucking nightmare. I'm just going to like pass out. I really hope I'm there. Who would you die if you met? Jillian Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, she's she's one of the only ones, I think, that I would have that level of a reaction to, where it's just like, I'm too deep in to even pretend that I'd be able to keep it together. Right. And even if I did keep it together, if 
she if we ever got to know each other in any real way i'd be screwed because at some point i've talked enough publicly at this point about but she she also is very aware of her status as a queer icon among women in particular right um i saw an interview that she had given just like last week where someone asked her what was it like to be an icon to queer women and to sort of be receiving male gaze and female gaze mm-hmm. from your fans. And she said something like, oh, I'm just sort of used to it because I've that's just been the case my whole life. <laughs> like, damn, yeah. girl. I always wonder what that's like to be a straight actor. And to- She's not straight, though. She's bi? Yeah, she came out, um, I forget how many years ago, about her one of her earliest serious relationships in high school was with a woman. Wow. And the woman had recently passed away. Holy shit. And Jillian sort of wanted to honor that that had happened in her life in the memory of the Aww. woman. That's really sweet. Also, there's that classic photo of her hanging out with Ellen when Ellen was dating um, Alex, uh, the Matt. woman who was on the L, the L word, brown hair. She played the one who, who's the, the, the really pretty British one? That's Helena, right? Yeah, that's Helena. She, she played the one who, who was married to a man and who was straight in air quotes. Oh, the like chick with short hair yeah who seemed really gay but was straight and then she was like a director or like an yeah. editor or something yeah. that was ellen degeneres's ex before no Anne yeah and there's a there's like a classic 90s snap of the two of them and jillian like going out for the night wow mm-hmm. i am actually like slow slowly re-watching the l word <laughs> back to the show oh and we also figure out um, Mac's full name, which is Michael Jordan McKenzie. We just found that out, which is very much 90s because of obviously Michael Jordan. And he said that his middle name had been something different and then his dad had gone to a Chicago Bulls game yeah. and changed it. I was very happy about that. Um, so anyways, Tommy Sherman, fucking loser, graduated like three years ago and came back and Daria hates him literally as much as we do yeah her eyes narrow in this way every time she overhears him saying anything to and anyone like i kind of love how it brought out a sort of loyalty she has even Mm -hmm. to the idiots in her school because he was indiscriminately an awful asshole to everyone yeah like he he's somewhat racist to mac he is a shithead to kevin he's a misogynist yeah he's completely gross about like trying to fuck britney and then when she rejects him calls her bimbo and every time he does this you see daria in the background like like just narrowing her eyes at him and i and i'm pretty impressed with the fact that this show pokes fun at people in power in a way you know? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any of the author- the figures of authority, I mean, the, the, the principal, the teachers, the parents, and now these sort of like hero worship figures, mm-hmm. they're all, yeah, the veneer is very thin. And it's, in a lot of cases, they're just blatantly awful and problematic. Next thing you know, rest in peace. <laughs> So Daria approaches, Daria and Jane approach Tommy because he's standing in front of Daria's locker and she she just calls him out on being a colossal jerk to everyone. And then he gives it right back to her and calls her out as being a misery chick and is like, oh, you're one of those chicks who like is all doom and gloom and nothing's ever enough for you. And then makes some comment about like how he would only fuck Jane after several drinks or something in so many words, something gross like that. Yeah. And then finally he walks 
walks off after insulting Daria and Jane and Daria have an exchange about, um, oh, I can't believe that jerk is going to be treated like a hero for the rest of his life. And then Jane says, maybe he won't live that long. And Daria says, yeah, but that won't happen because wishes don't come true. And then we hear a crash. Mm-hmm. And so, and apparently the new goalpost, which it hadn't been set up yet, fell on top of Tommy and killed him. And you see their faces like, did we just do that? Did yeah. we just cause that? Like witches maybe. Right. Do you think, in your honest opinion, that anything could have made Tommy Sherman change throughout his life? It's really hard to say. I, I want to believe that he could have changed. I want to believe that, but I think it would have taken a dramatic loss. Like he, he would have had to be brought down to earth in a serious way to get that perspective. Right. Like he's always been entitled and enabled. He's like, he's one of those kids that like gets away with date rape. You know, he's one of those kids who commits date rape and then everyone's focusing on like what a great life they could have had, and then right. they still have a great life anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, like he wouldn't, he would have had to have something would have had to have happened to fully face consequences. But at the same time, I think the consequence would have just been how miserable his life would be because it's clear he didn't really have any genuine connection to anyone. That's true. He actually was a pretty tragic figure even before he died. Good point. Like he, it's good, not like good obituary. Yeah. It's not like he had some, you know, beautiful, loving family. He was clearly still clinging on to the glory days of his high school and trying to sleep with 16-year-olds. So that's rough. I feel compassion for him. And so did everyone at the school. I mean, everyone at the school is very traumatized. This was, this was the first episode where we're really dealing with, like, explicit trauma in characters. Yeah. And it seems that the way everyone wants to deal with it is by talking to Daria. And it starts perpetuating this idea of her as the misery chick because everyone mm-hmm. says a version of that to her. Like, you you, you know, like you, you always spend time with the darkness or you are depressed a lot. So can you help me? They, they think that she's going to have wisdom for them because right. they're feeling sad now. Mm-hmm. Was there like an, an idyllic figure in pop culture that really rocked you when they passed away? Like what was the first one or the one you remember most clearly? Aaliyah. Yeah, that to this day, that really still messes me up. I'd say mine were like a cross between Heath Ledger. I remember I was a freshman in college and I was driving and I heard on the radio. Brittany Murphy, that was very Mm -hmm. sad. And then I think the biggest one was Paul Walker. I was like a, I loved Paul Walker. I thought that he was a really stand up dude. He did so much charity work too. (laughs) I believe you, but that is such the go-to empty compliment for someone. No, he did. He truly did. Like he really did a lot and didn't ask for recognition. Like he, he privately really did. And how did you know about it? Because it came out after he died. Oh, okay. Um, I also, I don't know if you ever noticed that I have the Paul Walker, I have a Paul Walker pillow. Wait, did you not notice this? Oh my God. I've never seen that before in my life. It's been on my bed. It is. Um, it's been on my bed for like five years. A pillowcase that's full on portrait of Paul Walker. My So me and my sister, one thing that we really bonded on is that we've always really liked Paul Walker. I think I've seen like every one of his movies. I think he's just such a charming, nice dude. And yeah, she got it for me. 
after he passed away or right before he passed away actually because he's been gone for like four years i want to say i remember i wrote an obituary for him on my blog because he was the like one male celebrity that i even after i came out that i still had a crush on because he was just yeah beautiful chiseled out of stone keith was hard too keith was really hard yeah any i mean anyone that's been in films from the 90s or early 2000s that I really, really loved like Clueless or 10 Things I Hate About You. It was it was just really hard to see someone that you saw as like a peer kind of just pass away. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan was hard too. She didn't die. Oh, sorry. I meant her relationship with Sam Ronson. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, watching downfalls of people that you idolized is a whole other conversation. Like watching Amanda Bynes go down the rabbit hole. That was oh, truly... Oh, sweetie. I feel for her. Yeah, that's truly one of the saddest things to think about in terms of like celebrity culture. Or uh, it's up there for me with a uh, female celebrity that you admire publicly stating they're not a feminist. That's that is also a type of death for me. Which who who are you speaking about in particular? Oh, it's happened. Um I mean, it's happened with people who have then recanted it later. Like, I think Taylor Swift said it at one point, and then she later took it back. Right. Um, that actress who is really great, what's her name, um, who is seems great now politically. Like, she's she was in um, Big Little Eyes. She played the young one. Oh, Shailene Woodley? Yeah, and she's now very into, um, the- like, she's very involved with Standing Rock. Yeah. And, but I recall when she was in that first, um, the trilogy that came out that she was the action yeah. star in. Something in, like, diverse. Urgent and yeah, yeah, she like had some quote about not being a feminist. Yeah, but I th- it's it's really hard to. Ugh, God, it's a bummer to like for a sixteen year old to state their opinion because when I was sixteen, I didn't know what the fuck a feminist was. But if you would have told me, like, do you believe that men and women should have the same rights? I'd be like, yeah. Well, right. And of course, when you have like PR team, they may have their own motives and they want to maybe brand you in a certain way. And I'm sure it can be very confusing and things can be taken out of context all Mm -hmm. the time. But yeah, for like grown adults, there's no excuse. Like to say that The Handmaid's Tale isn't a feminist story. You're fucking insane. My God. Infuriating. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Or like people who are make a statement with their silence. Yeah. Not publicly showing your support for a candidate in a time where it could really make a difference is also. I mean, you don't even have to show your support about a specific candidate. Like, even just being vocal about the need and importance of voting and to be, to speak explicitly in opposition to certain candidates, especially. Just people who are, like, completely apolitical, Mm -hmm. especially when they have such large followings. Like, I guess I understand it. When I say I understand it, like, only from a capitalistic perspective do I understand it. Right. But from, like, from a a POV of social responsibility or, like, your soul, (laughs) I don't understand it. Right. But people that – artists that are more political and aren't afraid to show that and are willing to lose a little money to just have more integrity, it makes me like them so much more. Like, Mm -hmm. the band Best Coast and Bethany Constantino, she's so, their lead singer, she's so political and she's so on the front lines of like women's rights. And uh, she was one of the people that really illuminated sexual harassment in the music industry. And she, it just made me so much more of a, like I, I liked their music before, but it made me want to put my money towards them. Like it made me right. buy a ticket when they played at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So in a way you can also benefit 
you know, from being yeah, more political. finding your audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like sometimes our podcast drives people away? Or do you think we're, like, approachable about it? Um, I wouldn't really call us universally appealing. I mean, I guess I would call us that. I mean, I, I think we're friggin' delightful. <laughs> but, um, I think that we most likely have a pretty self-selected um, group of listeners. Yeah. Like, people... People are here. You know, we found each other. Totally. I feel like we, we, we have some, some family out there. Yeah. And, and it, I, I can't imagine not talking about what matters. No. What would the point be? Right. Speaking of grappling with mortality, Jane is being super weird to Daria. Yeah, what gives, Jane? This is really like one of their first fights. Yeah, and we don't know what it's about. And neither does Daria. Jane keeps making the excuse that she needs to go run and won't talk to Daria. So there's a clearly something happened with the death of Tommy that is bothering Jane and makes her not want to be around her best friend. Right. And um, one of my favorite parts was when Quinn is saying at dinner that the fashion club is going to take up a collection to make safer goalposts. (laughs) The emotional labor that Daria has to take on this episode is really interesting because she is just more deep than everyone else. Right. And everyone else interprets that as being darker or that somehow she is... Holds the keys to getting over tragedy or something. Right. Um, Just because she's more like plugged into it all the time. As someone who lost a lot of people when she was young, I'm speaking about myself. Right. I actually feel like I don't handle tragedy well. Even if you experience something quite frequently, it doesn't necessarily mean that you actually know how to deal with it better. I just shove down, shove it down. Totally. But I mean, I don't think Daria has experienced a lot of suffering in her life. I think she's lived a pretty privileged, comfortable existence. But I think that she, and we get to this toward the end, but I think it's more about holding a duality in her mind, like Mm -hmm. being able to see the good and the bad at the same time, rather than having to shove down the bad in favor of the good, like Mm -hmm. most people do. So that then when the bad forces itself up it feels way worse i just feel like she has a little bit more of like a holistic awareness of what life is right and so is therefore more tempered in her optimism but also less extreme in her depression but there's also the element that she didn't like him and so that's a big element for her right there's something that comes up And we kind of got into this um, in the episode, The Big House, but there is something that happens, especially with the internet and social media being a thing, which is when somebody dies, there's the kind of gut reaction to make it about yourself and make it about your loss and what you've experienced. I mean, even celebrity deaths, sometimes it feels like a rush for people who's going to post a photo of them first on their Instagram? Right. Like, who's going to make the point of how impactful this person was on their lives? Mm -hmm. When people that you know pass away and then you watch the responses of other people, sometimes it is a competition to show that, like, it affected you the most. You know what I mean? It's really an interesting thing. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's the way that death is. It's the same way of large accomplishment. Like this is very inside baseball, but I think when one of your friends does something, you know, really great, like someone, you know, gets on a TV show or something. It's like, you want to be the first person to be like, I know them. I'm tied. I'm tied to them. 
even if you haven't talked to them in like months and months and months and you guys aren't really close, there's like this really interesting thing that people just are naturally drawn to wanting to be connected to, to the extremes, to yeah. the extremes completely. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And I've, I've never really, I don't know. That is true. And it's, it doesn't apply to other things that I guess I wouldn't call them extremes in life, but like major, major life moments, mm-hmm. like getting married or having a kid, like that same thing doesn't happen right. where people are like, oh, you're engaged. I knew you first. Although I guess it does happen in a way. Like there's Sometimes. the whole concept of like wedding celebrities, the whole thing of a maid of honor, of bridesmaid. And at the wedding, the the hierarchy of mm-hmm. like closeness and circles of closeness. Even like who you sit with at the tables. It's a whole like this is who's closest to me. It's really... uh, Right, but I guess, yeah, to your point, it does feel like it's either heightened, rare achievement or death or or maybe like an untimely illness, Mm -hmm. something that's extremely tragic or extremely like wonderful and rare in someone's life. Like both of those things people want to associate themselves closely to. Right. And and it's interesting to just relay it to this storyline. It really did a great job portraying how little people thought of this person and then how they've completely changed their tune after he passes away because... Except for Daria, because she just has the balanced, consistent view regardless of what's happening to her. Like, she's an example of, for me, for that, of that quote, like, it's not about the lack of, I'm going to butcher it, but it's not about the lack of hardship or chaos in your life. It's about existing within the hardship and the chaos Mm -hmm. and still having, like, a a peacefulness or serenity internally Mm -hmm. um that is daria to me like whatever's happening around her we've never really seen her have like a a a real spike of emotion right and i i can't say that that's necessarily healthy or healthier but she does seem to have a big picture view of things in Mm -hmm. a way that others don't and then when she and Jane remedy their their fight, which we learn is mostly just because Jane's kind of struggling emotionally with this loss and feels somehow personally responsible or feels weird that she had basically just smote him, that right. she had said she wanted him to die and then he died, which understandably would feel fucked up. And she felt like she couldn't talk to Daria about it because Daria kept talking about how awful the guy was. Mm-hmm. And when they finally, you know, rectify their relationship, Jane says something to Daria of like, "You are you are thinking all of the time, and other people don't think." Right. And when something like this happens, it forces them to think, and that makes them uncomfortable. And they need advice of how to stop thinking so they can go back to their vegetative states. Yeah, Jane says people aren't upset because Tom. Or wait, did Daria or Jane say this? People aren't upset because Tommy died. They're upset because they're going to die. Jane said it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Which is the same with um, weddings. Like when people are crying at weddings, how often is it about the couple and how often is it about them reflecting on their own love or lack of love? Mm -hmm. I think ultimately like all of these issues just connect to like the human need and desire to feel loved and special. Yeah. And uh, in Mr. O'Neill's class, it kind of gets pulled together with this uh, Lord Tennyson quote paraphrasing but if if something makes you feel love and it makes you feel good then there must be a corresponding feeling of pain but it also begs the question of is being able to feel you know the darkness and the lightness is that better than not feeling anything at all which is kind of where daria lies on the spectrum to be honest and that's what we've talked about on this podcast with regards to our own relationships too or relationships in general like 
you know, with the pain of a breakup, for example, like I would still prefer to feel the pain of the breakup and still know that on the flip side of that, I am going to open myself up and have the capacity to feel the joy and the love come back in once I'm done grieving it rather than be completely shut down from feeling any of it. Right. Yeah. I think if you're in a relationship and you're feeling very sedated, I think that's scary. But yeah, I think I think there's there's different levels of pleasure and pain. And I think you have to weigh what you're getting more of and how much pain you're willing to go through for, you know, the amount of pleasure that you're getting in return. But I will say that my favorite part of the whole episode is at the end where Sandy... Yeah, for Sandy such had, heavy themes, they really bring the comic relief at the end with yeah. Sandy. Which is where she says that her cat OD'd on her foundation and she's seeking advice. And Daria makes her give her $10 for advice. And Sandy approaches the conversation by saying, Um, Daria, I heard you're... No, she says, um, Quinn's cousin or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you're really good at bummed out stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Daria's advice is basically just, find another way to feel. Yeah. And then Sandy gets angry because she's like, what the fuck? That's not... And I, I realize I say fuck a lot when I'm recapping, but they don't actually use that word in the show. Right. But she's basically like, what sort of advice is that? And then she's Daria's like, see, like, see it's You're already angry. working. Yeah. It's already working. And Sandy's like, thanks. <laughs> oh, uh, I love these. Love these girls. Love these gals. Love these gals. What a, what a deep ep. Deep ep. Yeah, I guess I wasn't giving it enough credit at the beginning of our episode of the podcast where, you know, it really did tie some things together. It was an impressive undertaking thematically. It it is really profound. And I think the end, the end quote where uh, Mr. O'Neill is talking about it, it really does. It opens up the question of is Daria going to open herself up to the possibility of pleasure or pain? Because right now she is just in like a sedated state that's her thing yeah and she has another moment with trent sometimes trent kind of seems like the dangled promise or potential of her becoming reckless right well in the episode with alterna palooza that's the first time we see her be uh feel embarrassed or feel shame which is because she's trying to impress him it's the most we've gotten out of her and that she changed her wardrobe for him and smiled and smiled Well, you asked for longer episodes. I think it's fitting that this is the season finale and it's a little bit of a longer longer app from us. And also, we don't want to get into themes of death and confronting your own mortality and... The duality of pleasure and pain, like in a, those aren't things you can just wrap in a tidy bow and give 10 minutes to. No, not at all. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Sticking with us for however long it's been. Yeah. Um, from this episode, I think we're going to add a few little fun things on Patreon. Perhaps me hugging my Paul Walker pillow, some school pics. And yeah, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website sickersadderworld.com you can follow us on twitter at sickersadder next episode we're gonna do a little special bonus episode um, before we get into season two and we'd also love to hear some suggestions for how we can make season two a little more different and more enjoyable for our fans even more enjoyable even more enjoyable thank you 